Would you open your Bibles to Matthew 2, please? Merry Christmas. <clears throat> Matthew 2 is it's page uh, 687, if you're using the Bible. Uh, the very beginning of the New Testament. And in Matthew 2 is an account of the wise men. It's the story of the wise men. It's the only account in the Bible of the wise men. <clears throat> so this is everything we have, we have right here in this column of, of text. And uh, the question that's behind the series, it's a little bit of a what-if question, the question is, what, what would have caused the wise men to arise and go to Bethlehem? Um, you say the star, but, but I want to read the account, and, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, it had to have been something a little bit more than the star, I think. This is Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. <clears throat> and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, as you can see, there's not a lot that we know <clears throat> about the wise men. But uh, we... They come out of nowhere, they show up on the scene and surprise even the priests. And then they ask, they have a pretty bold statement if you think about it. There's quite a bit of information in their statement. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? That's significant. We, so we know they knew something. I mean, if they had just been motivated by a star, if they had been sitting around a campfire in eastern Pakistan <clears throat> and had seen a star and said, let's follow the star, you might imagine they'd come to Herod and well, what would they say? Is there anything star-worthy going on around here? 
there's a lot of, there's, there's some information in what they said that tells you, they, gives you a reasonable expe- expectation they knew more. Notice, they say to King Herod, Herod the Great, where is the boy who's been born king? That, I mean, that's a bold statement to say to a king on the throne of the Jews. We also see from the story that it's not a new expectation. They're not, they're not conjuring up something that people haven't thought of before. In fact, when, while the scribes and while King Herod is very surprised by the timing of the question, the question itself is not an unfamiliar question. He turns to his scribes. Where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? And they confer, and they come back, and they quote Micah, the prophet Micah. So not only do they have the answer, but they have the text. They come back and say, he, she was going to be born in Bethlehem. Our expectation for this Messiah, that's what they say when they say, he inquired where the Christ, the Messiah, is to be born. They say, our expectation is that he's going to be born in, in Bethlehem. But we were not expecting it right now. Another thing that's worth noticing is when the wise men show up in Bethlehem to the house in which Jesus is being cared for, they worship him. Which says something because almost certainly Jesus, how does the song go? Now lie he there in, is it meek estate? It's an M word, means humble. Mean estate? Uh, he doesn't have an estate. Okay? His estate is meek. Uh, wise men from the east rise up. So these are eastern dignitaries of peoples. Okay? Ambassadorial individuals bring gifts of great value to come to worship a king. I, I would, it would make sense to me if they said to Herod, do you have a son born... Like, uh, did you have a son recently born? And Herod said, yeah, here's my son. And they go down the palace corridor to a palace room that's inlaid with gold. And there's this ivory bassinet and there's hummingbirds flying in the room. And there's this silk embroidered gown that's on this infant. And he's has, uh, knit little booties from distant lands. And, and there's people in the back singing choir. Right. It makes me, it makes sense to me that the wise men would bow in that manner and give gifts to that kind of kid to go to a neighborhood of a working class family and still recognize that child. That says something about the understanding of the wise men. That's about all we know from the scriptures. Now, uh, what do we know? What greater history, not greater is in value, but what other history do we know of in the world that would contribute? There's a little bit. By the way, you could log on to the internet. Log on. It's like from a different age. Go to your AOL account and... you, you You could Google it. There we go. I'm right back in the time here. You could Google this, and people will tell you everything you ever wanted to know about the wise men. I just don't think it's... I think the church has so overspoken on this matter. 
Okay, sometimes there's always a community in the church that hates not knowing an answer. And we don't know feels, so they're going to supply you answers, okay? And there's really a lot that we don't know about the wise men. Uh, but here's the kinds of things we do know. We do know this. We do know that the holy scriptures of the Old Testament were valued by wise, learned peoples around the world in the ancient world. Okay? People who desired to know, in every people there's people who are seeking God, and people who desired to know truth and wisdom found it here. And, and so it was in, a, in this age, in the ancient Near East, a wise, a person seeking to be wise, he couldn't, he couldn't go on the internet. He couldn't go to a library in the same way that you do. We didn't have a printing press. So he would pilgrimage to places to f- gain scrolls. These things were considered ish- items of high value and were greatly respected. So it's not, it's not a stretch of the imagination to expect that maybe these wise men had gained possession of some kind of scripture, some fragment or portion of the Old Testament that would equip them to say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You see, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts, he is from southern Egypt. Now, at the moment in the story, he's not, but he's traveling along in his chariot and he's reading a scroll of Isaiah. And Philip is teleported to him to bring the gospel. Here is this Gentile from a distant land, enthralled and confused with the words of God. And God brings a man of God to him. In the description of Solomon, Solomon, it says, people came from all over the world to sit at his feet and gain of his wisdom. That's that tradition taking place. Other things that we might know. We know that uh, to many, many peoples in the world, uh, the heavens spoke. If something happened in the sky, they attributed a divine connection between that occurrence and something on the earth. There is one story happening. That was, that's kind of baseline paganism of the world. Is when there was a comet. You gotta remember, we have light bulbs, so we have, we live lives with a very little sky. Okay, we artificially perpetuate day until we fall asleep. But for many peoples in the world, the night sky is a dominant presence. And it would speak. So when there's a new star, when there's a comet, when there's something that would happen, they would often connect it. They would seek to connect it. And it, there was, for them, I guess what I'm saying is, they might have already had a pagan tradition that we might say, well, that's not correct, that God uses to propel them. In fact, there was standing ideas like when a new king is born, sometimes there's a new star. I mean, those things kind of traveled among the, the peoples. We also know in the ancient Near East, kings were star worthy. Kings were not just men, they were divine among many peoples. They were gods, little g. 
Pharaoh was a god. Caesar was a god. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was a god. Emperor of Persia was a god. They were given this divine right. What's interesting is the only people group that I know of in the ancient Near East that did not think of their kings as gods were the Jews. It's, it's, it's ironic how in a twisted sort of way, a thoughtful, wise Gentile might have been more postured to receive the divine nature of Christ than the Jews themselves. Those are just some things we, we kind of know. Here's uh, things we don't know. We don't know who they are. We don't know exactly where they came from. We don't know what they knew. We don't... So I'm going, we're going to, for this month, imagine what they might have been reading. But we don't know, okay? This is, this is an, an artificial what-if experience. If you don't like that, if you say, well, I just want to study the scriptures, what this really is is a study of the advent of Christ through the book of Isaiah. That just doesn't sound as fun. That's what we're really doing. We're going to see the anticipation of the Christ through the prophet Isaiah. But we're imagining. Here's the imagination. What if? What if it was the scroll of Isaiah that these wise men were looking at and they gained this, this holy anticipation that was met with this moment in the sky. That God met it. God partic- God's action met their conviction, and it spurred them to rise and go. That's what I want us to imagine. I want us to imagine a people, us being a people, where we read this with holy expectation that God is alive and active. And then he can move us. Unlike the scribes who were caught unaware, Okay, I'm gonna, you're going to see some, some uh, prophecies on the screen in a little, in a moment. Prophecy is a, kind of a squirrely idea um, because, well, first of all, when we hear prophecy, we think of crystal balls. Like, what's, am I going to meet my lover? That's what we want. That's what we want from God, right? Can you give me a word about the numbers to the next lottery? But prophecy is not that. And a lot of times in Scripture, the prophet is speaking of things to come. Okay, so he's speaking of things that are on their way, but very few people actually catch the drift of the thing coming. The prophecy itself is rarely that helpful for people to anticipate what's coming, it's helpful for people to understand what just happened. Oddly enough, the prophetic word, which is anticipating something in front of it, is most helpful for people to understand something behind them. It is classically helpful for hindsight. Well, the reason it's helpful for hindsight is it enables us to see, oftentimes in a tragic, you know, the exile of the Jews to Babylon, okay? This terrible thing where they would otherwise think God failed. It enables them to see, not only did God not fail, he anticipated this, and it's your fault, and he's going to bring you back. It allows us to look back and say, God has not let us down, nor has he failed. So, 
here's a kind of a very earthy sort of way. Um, if you ever go driving in one of these older neighborhoods, 1950s neighborhoods with no, you're going to the Christmas party at someone's house. You don't know the neighborhood and there's no street lights. And because it's this 1950s neighborhood, they fell for the fad of this signpost where they write the street signs on the vertical post. Those are the worst. The worst ever. And the paint chips, and you have to squint, and there's no street lights, and so you're looking for Darby Road or, or Abbey Road, right? You're looking for Abbey Road, and uh, you can't see it. You, you, and you're squinting, and you have to pull almost all the way up to the wooden post. <laughs> and roll your window, kids, roll your window down. <laughs> And stare, and your wife goes, that's Darby Road. And you're, well, great. We got to go all the way down to the cul-de-sac, turn around, and come back. That's prophecy. You, rarely can you see prophecy on the way there. But as you pass it, ah, that's it. Let's come around and come back. That's, and so much of the prophecy that you and I will have read over Christmas is n- nurtures us and blesses us, but I don't think they could have anticipated that. I don't think they... I'll give you a few examples. Here are some prophecies of the Christ. These are clear... Now, you may say, well, I'm not giving you a lot of context because we're moving pretty quick, but these are clear, classic prophecies of the Lord. This is out of Deuteronomy. The Lord's going to raise up a prophet like Moses... A greater prophet. Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses, is the word out of Deuteronomy. Now, this is something, but I feel like if, if the wise men were reading this, would one of them, and even if they had a full belly of conviction about this, and then a star happened, would they say, arise and go, we must go to Jerusalem to see he who was born king of the Jews? I don't see that in there. Here's another one. This is Psalm 110. I mean, this is like the backbone passage for Hebrews, practically. Uh, you see at the bottom, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the whole psalm is prophetic, but you get down to this Melchizedek. Many of you might not even know who Melchizedek is. He's a priest. He's a great priest in the book of Genesis. Jesus is going to be a greater priest is the word that comes out of this. But I don't think you could read Psalm 110, see a shooting star, and be off. I just... Helpful in hindsight. Here's 2 Samuel. This is the covenant given to David, which promises, like David is a king, there will come one from David who's a greater king, right? Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses, a greater king, a priest than Melchizedek, and a greater king than David. This is in the word. There's a lot of words there. So hopefully you're reading them. But he's saying, hey, there's going to come one after me, one after you, David, who will be a great king. And his throne will exist. Now, this is very helpful. And the Jews had an expectation that the Messiah would be a king in the line of David. This is why they knew he was being born in Bethlehem. David was born, David is of the clan from Bethlehem. That's why. But it still doesn't seem like it's not a prophetic word that you can move on very easily. Here's another one. 
If you search the Bible first, is there a passage about a star? You get this. Like you really can't move out of that, can you? And if you saw the context that this was in, you'd even be less confident. Like, this is the best case scenario. You put the words on either side of it, and it's from the prophet Balaam, son of Beor, to a pagan people. Many of these prophecies help us looking back. I want to know, is there something in the word that is full enough in its own right that if there were, I mean, one thing about wise men is that they're wise. If there were these men who had received this teaching and possessed it and lived under the conviction of it and were wrestling with it and then then the sky broke open, would they move? And we get at last to the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is, uh, and you can turn there if you don't mind. Uh, Isaiah chapter nine is where we'll be. It's page 687. If you're not too, too familiar, open your Bible about halfway. If you're still in Psalms, go to the right. Isaiah is a major prophet, which means his book is longer than the minor prophets. That's the rocket science behind that one. But you get to Isaiah 7 here, which we love this passage. He'll be a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I mean, that is Christmas 101 right there. We, it, with hindsight, this is so clearly Christ. Emmanuel means God with us. But with foresight, you know, it's something, but is it enough? It is something that Jesus is a greater prophet. It is something that the Messiah is going to be a greater priest. It's something that he's going to be a greater king. It's something that there might be a star that will rise out of Jacob. It's something that there might be a virgin who will conceive and give birth to a child, but would any one of those or even all of those contribute to a star saying, well, this is it, we must go? I don't know. I don't know. But eventually, we get to Isaiah 9. And then things are different here. Things are different here. Isaiah 7 through 12 are kind of the introductory movement to the first big section of Isaiah. So the first 39 chapters are kind of opened uh, by 7 through 12. But here... In nine, we arrive at something that is uh, quite a bit different. I want to read the first verse by itself and talk about that, and then we'll move. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, this verse, 9-1, in the Hebrew Scriptures is actually chapter 8, verse 23, okay? The, the Christian church has renumbered here because 9-1, we grab that and say, that's, that's, talking, that's talking about what comes to follow. But it's this description. He says, 
The eighth chapter is dealing with the apparent silence of God in the midst of their anguish. Okay, Isaiah is, these early sections of Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking into a world in great trial, in great crisis. He's trying to preach faith to them. And in all of this, the eighth chapter is speaking of um, a God who will to them feel apparently silent. And at the very end of it, he's going to say, but this gloom and this silence is going to come to an end. And he, he kind of speaks of a geography. He says this land of Zebulon or Naphtali, that's the northern, northern side of Israel, way up north by the Sea of Galilee, an area where at the time it was already under massive assault and was already becoming not Jewish. And the Lord is, here the prophet is saying, in that land, out of that land, the gloom will end. And what was anguish will turn to glory. (coughs) Incidentally, uh, Nazareth is on the border of Zebulon and Naphtali. I mean, it's Nazareth. um, The entire last sermon series of Mark Describe the ministry of Christ at the Sea of Galilee, in and around the Sea of Galilee. That whole ministry of Christ was right here in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But here is what the prophet says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is a birth announcement. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's different. I mean, we're told here in two and three, there are people in darkness, people in trial, People in the midst of difficulty, right? We who walk in darkness, even when you read, we read John 1, 1 and through 5 this morning, that darkness, the light has broken in and the darkness cannot overcome it, that the world is lost. And in the lostness, the light will break out and will explode onto the scene. In such a way, as it talks through 4 and 5, that it spells victory where there was defeat. He's going to take the rod of the oppressor and the yoke of the oppressor. And it's, it's a picture of utter victory, complete victory. In fact, the picture in the fifth verse, it's not a like-kind victory. Like two armies go to battle, but one is stronger than the other. The picture is, is that the light that comes is so victorious that it puts an end to war itself. You notice the boots and the bloody rags are bundled up and burned. 
And the nature of the victory is so unexpected and so miraculous. He says, as in the day, in verse 4, of Midian. That's, he's calling forth to the Jews the story of Gideon, the, the judge. And Gideon was this judge when the Midianites were uh, assaulting the Jews. And the Lord raises Gideon up to go take care of the Midianites. And so Midian, uh, Gideon gets this army, and the Lord says, no, you don't need that many. And so he gives them less. And he goes, no, you don't need that. And so pretty soon, Gideon is left with 300 men. And he crawls, he goes into the camp of the Midianites one night to see. The Lord wants to show him. And this is how the word describes the camp of the Midianites. They were like locusts, it says. They were too numerous to count as the sand of the seashore. 300 men gained victory. That's the nature of God's victory. The Lord, the Lord does his greatest things with his least instruments. And you see it here because it follows it. For to us a child is born. In your minds, you're thinking of this victory coming, you're this grand dominance of the kingdom coming and and the word turns right to something meek and small. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. That the Lord's going to do this through the birth of of a child. And look at the titles conferred to him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Who has these titles? I mean, those who want to reject the prophetic power of Scripture, they, they come to places like this and they, they try to identify some historical character that they must be talking about. Because this King Hezekiah, is this King Ahaz, is it, none of it works. None of it matches. If we cannot be obedient to the words and the spirit of the prophecy and attach it to any earthly... I mean, the intonation here is that this, this one whose name is beyond... A, all other names will bring a kingdom that will be everlasting, the expanse of which is unending. Who is that? And God is going to do it, right? It's going to be on the throne of David, over his kingdom, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you think they could have had possession of this? This is just romantic thinking, okay? This is... I like to imagine the wise men reading this passage, working through Isaiah, caught on Isaiah 9. Who is this? Who is this? And... You know, there they are with their camels at night, sitting around a fire or whatever it is wise men from the east do at night. It's dark. And they're wrestling with those who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone, and it's about this birth announcement, and then boom, the star shows up. And that conviction meets God's action. It doesn't have to be that way. That's just amusing. Um, however, it is right to hope and long, Lord, may we be a people who are not caught looking at all of your scripture with hindsight. Like, may we be a people of holy expectation. 
even this meal today. We are observing what God has done with an expectation of what he will do. Paul says, the way he describes a meal, he says, in this way you proclaim the Lord's death until his coming. This is done. This is a prophetic moment for us. We are looking at what has happened, anticipating what will happen. This is what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things unseen. We are, just as the Hebrews were waiting for the Messiah to come the first time, we live in Christ every bit as much full of a hope of another coming. Can the word be in us? Can the word be in you in such a way that God can use it to move you? I'm going to close this with Isaiah 11. It's just a few chapters later. Obviously, if the wise men got a hold of nine, they'd have 11. (laughs) You have the whole scroll. So that's why we'll be in Isaiah the whole time. The thought was, where in Scripture can we find it? And then once we have that scroll, where else is it said? That's how we were living in Isaiah. But here you come to Isaiah 11. And the Christ is going to be referred to as a shoot from the stump of Jesse, okay? It's just so you, you're going in. Jesse was the father of David, and David was the king from whom the promise came. And the idea of the shoot from the stump is it, it appears to them, it may appear at one point in the future that there's no hope, that the tree of Jesse has been chopped down, and the Lord is saying, no, out of that stump will shoot forth the promise. You cannot kill the promise of God. That's what the picture is. So if you, you want to bow your heads, we'll just use this to head towards the Lord. This is what he's saying. This is our hope. Right? We could say it has happened, but it, it hasn't entirely happened. Just, just listen. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the whole earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Who is this? Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Listen to how, this is how it's going to be for us. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. This is our longing the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead him. Lord, may this be so. Come quickly. The cow and the bear shall graze. And the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain 
For the earth shall be the full knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and of his resting place shall be glorious. Lord, that's our longing. We know you have come, and yet you've told us to say, Lord, come quickly. We know of your advent. We wait for your second advent. Father, we know that you are the king, but we wait for you to come in the full splendor of your glory and to bring this peace, Lord, to bundle up all the tramping boots of war and the bloody garments and to burn them, Lord, and to bring true peace, Lord. Father, we acknowledge that your word cuts through the soul and sets apart the righteous from the unrighteous and the forgiven from the wicked. Lord, and as we come to this meal, we know that you've called us close. This God of glory, you have told us to take your body and to take your blood. Father, we pray. We pray that our expectation of you when met with the movement of your spirit would put us to action. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.